0: Hello, my friends. This is Pastor Christopher Alam in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I trust you and your household are doing well. We are at present uh, in the subject of the Blood Covenant, and yesterday uh, I was talking about the um, about uh, the Lord our Banner of Victory. How the Lord promised them victory everywhere they went, and I'm I almost closed it out yesterday. Uh, And I did it hurriedly, so I want to go through some of the scriptures uh, that I shared with you at the end so I can close this part uh, properly before I go to the next attribute, the next Jehovah name, uh, and that will be uh, Jehovah Jireh, Yahweh Jireh. Yahweh Jireh means the Lord our provider. But anyway, but I want to start reading to you from Judges chapter 6 verses 1 to 16. And it says, and the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. So it says that that the children of Israel, they did evil. They didn't keep the covenant, but they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And because of that, the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Midianites. And then it it talks about what happened when they were in the hands of the Midianites. Verse 2 says, and the hand of the Midian, Midian prevailed against Israel. And because of, the, uh, because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them dens, which are in the mountains and in caves and in strongholds. That means the Midianites were so um, hard, so cruel on the children of Israel that the children of Israel couldn't even live in, 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 in houses as they were used to. But they lived in, in hiding places in dens in the mountains and in caves uh, and strongholds. And so in hidden places, they they couldn't even live like regular people, but they had to hide away from the Midianites. And then it says how bad it got in verse three. And so it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up and the Amalekites and the children of the East, even they came up against them. So, uh, so what had happened was that when, whenever the Israelites uh, Israelite sowed something, the Midianites, the Amalekites and other groups from the east, they would come against them and they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth. That means that whatever the Israelites grew, the Midianites the, the and the Amalekites and these others would come and destroy their crops and they destroyed the increase of the earth till Thou come into Gaza and left no sustenance for Israel. That means they left no food for the Israelites, neither sheep nor ox nor ass. That means they killed their sheep, or rather they took away their sheep, took away their cattle, took away their donkeys. For it says, verse 5, for they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they came as grasshoppers for a multitude. That means they would come by in huge multitudes, and because both they and their camels were without numbers, and they entered into the land to destroy it. And because of this, it says, verse 6, Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. Now, this is uh, there is one thing here, which is very striking. And this shows us that just because God was in covenant with uh, the children of Israel through Abraham, because it was the Abrahamic covenant, just because God had a covenant with Abraham and with the children of Abraham, that is the children of Israel, does not mean that the blessings of the covenant came to them by default. As I said to you, I think it was yesterday or day before yesterday, that the blessings of the covenant came only by faith and and even in the book of Galatians, we see that, that the blessings uh, of Abraham, they come by faith. So. So when the people of Israel sinned, like say, for example, when the people of Israel were the Israelites, although they were God's people, God's people, no doubt they were God's people and God had a covenant with them. But if they sinned, if they sinned against the Lord, the covenant was like suspended. It didn't work for them. So uh, suddenly they were the ones who were being defeated, who were being oppressed. They didn't, they were in poverty, they didn't have enough to eat, and their enemies were winning over them, and they were being defeated. Why? Because of their sin. So I wanted to say this to you, as I said a couple of days ago, that the old covenant, the covenant that God had with the people of Israel, did not work. It was un, unfunctional or in or you know it just didn't work when the people of israel lived in sin because that con- that covenant was conditional and and all the blessings that god promised to abraham and to his children was if you hearken unto the voice of the lord thy god and you you know if you live by the word of god you do what god has told you to do then these blessings shall come upon you and if you sin against the lord then these curses shall come upon you and we read that in deuteronomy 28 when God gives the blessings and the curses, you know, speaks blessings and curses. So I want you to understand because many people think that the old covenant was of such a nature that even if the people of Israel lived in sin, the covenant blessings would still come upon them. No, it doesn't work that way. It is only if the people obeyed the Lord their God and lived according to his word and they exercised faith, only then was the covenant operable and we see this. Because the Midianites, the Amalekites, everybody basically destroyed everything that the Israelites had. Although the Israelites were in covenant with God. But this changed, this was to change. And that was in verse 6, it says, And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And then the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. Now it you know it took them seven years of suffering to realize why they were being punished like that, why they were suffering. But at the end of the seven years, thank the Lord that they came to their sentence sentence, and they cried unto, unto the Lord. They cried out unto the Lord. And when that happened, the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel. So God sent a prophet. You see, before a deliverer comes, before God does his mighty works, there always comes somebody who proclaims the word of the Lord. So God sent a prophet and this prophet said. Thus said the Lord, of God, Lord God of Israel, I brought you out from Egypt and brought you forth out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hands of the Egyptians and out of the hands of all that oppress you and drave them out before you and gave you their land. Now, this is interesting because God first reminded them of what he had done for them in the past. And he said, I am the one who brought you out of Egypt. And I am the one who did this for you. And I am the one who drove your enemies before you and gave you the land. And in fact, the Lord is saying, he didn't say you did it. He said, I am the one who did this. So the Lord reminded them of his mighty works on their behalf. And then it says, verse 10, and I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the God of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell." Dwell for, but ye have not obeyed my voice. Again, you see, he said, I told I'm the Lord your God, but you have not obeyed my voice. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was in Ophrah that pertained unto Joash the uh, Abbeezerite. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. So Gideon was this young man. And uh, he was a regular young guy from a regular family. But he was afraid because he was threshing wheat (coughs) in the winepress because it was not the time for grapes. So he came there at night and he was threshing wheat there because he was afraid of the Midianites. He wanted to hide his harvest from the Midianites. That is how scared he was. So he was doing in the winepress because nobody would look for him in the winepress. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said to him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said, Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why is this happening to us? He says, why is this happening to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us of, saying, did not the Lord bring us out from Egypt, but now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. It's interesting because Gideon obviously didn't see that they were in the situation because of their own sin. But they kind of indirectly blame blame the Lord. He said, "Wait, the Lord is with us. Why is this happening to us?" And the Lord looked upon him and said, "Go in this thy might, for thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee?" And he said to them, "O my Lord, where wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. My family is poor, and I am the youngest in my father's house." And the Lord says, surely I will be with thee and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. But this is the interesting thing. In verse 12, God says, the angel of the Lord said, and he says, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. This is interesting because you see, when God speaks his word over your life, no matter what situation you are in, it always becomes the way that God has spoken it. Gideon was actually at that time when the angel of the Lord came to him he was a coward he was afraid of the Midianites he was because he was threshing wheat in the uh, in the wine press because it was not the time for grapes or uh, or, or wine but he was there because he was thinking nobody's going to look for me here so he was there at night threshing out the wheat so his family could have something to eat because he was afraid of the Midianites so here in this situation where he is hiding out at night in fear, the angel of the Lord says to him, God is with you, you mighty man of valor. That is interesting because Gideon, in the natural, was not a mighty man of valor, but he was in the eyes of God. He was so in the eyes of God. And I said to you a couple of days ago in Romans 4 17, it says, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things not as though they were. God doesn't speak about people or situations as they are in the natural, but he speaks what he sees with the eye of the spirit. And God saw when he looked at Gideon, what God saw was a mighty man of valor. So God called him. The angel of the Lord said, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon, who you say, who, who, who is the mighty man of valor? He said, and you, he said, the Lord has forsaken us and all this is happening to us. And the Lord and the angel said, you are the one. And he said, you know, I'm, I come from a poor family and I'm the least in my family. And the, and the Lord, the only thing he answered to him in verse 16, he said, surely I will be with you. And you shall smite the Midianites as one man. He said, I'm, I am, i will be with you. And you see, he's Yavanifei, Nisi. He's the one who leads and he speaks his word. So God is now getting ready to do something. And then he says, and of course, you know, the rest of the story, the Lord said to Gideon, uh, you know, Gideon, he gathered all the Israelites. And the Lord said, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel who want themselves against me saying mine own hand has saved me so this is striking because Gideon gathered all these people and um, and the Lord says you are too many too many he said yeah the Lord said you are too many because if you go out and you win you will say well I did it because of my power because of my strength. Because the Lord wanted Gideon and the Israelites to see that it was not them or their strength or their power that delivered them, but it was he who was their deliverer. So this is interesting. And so he told Gideon how to kind of whittle down that number and he brought them to the water and told them, told him to tell the people to drink and the way they drank, you know, that kind of thing. Anyway, so finally they were left with 300 men, 300 men were left. And the Lord said to Gideon, verse seven, by the 300 men that left, will I save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand and let all the other people go back, go every man to his place. So everybody went back to the place and Gideon was left with 300 men. And with those 300 men, he won a great and mighty victory. Hallelujah. So that, you know, the Lord said, I'm the Lord, Yahweh Nissi. I am the Lord, your banner of victory. Hallelujah. Anyway, let's go to the next covenant name of God. They say Yahweh Jireh. I am the Lord, your provider. I am the Lord, your provider. Yahweh Jireh. I know some Americans like to say Jehovah Jireh. It's not Jehovah Jireh. It's Yahweh Jireh. Now when we talk about Yahweh Jireh, I'm the Lord, your provider, First of all, let me talk about Abraham because this covenant was made with Abraham and with through Abraham with the people of Israel who were Abraham's descendants through through Ishmael. You know, I, I'm sorry, Ishmael. There was a there was another covenant with Ishmael and the sons of Keturah and all, all you know all the sons of Abraham, the seven sons of Abraham. But the Messianic covenant, the covenant uh, uh, through which Christ would come, that was through uh, Isaac and. His, his descendants. So when we are going to talk about the covenant from this point, I'm not talking about the covenant, the promises God made for Ishmael or the promises that God made for the sons of Keturah and for all the other nations that would come through Abraham, through his sons and the blessings upon them. We are, let's, let's not just talk about those because uh, this, this covenant, Yahweh Jireh, this was for Isaac and for the people of Israel who were the son now, I must add one thing here interesting because, um, uh, you know, you talk about uh, Isaac, right? So you had Isaac. I'm talking about children of Isaac. Now, Isaac had a son called Jacob. So Jacob had two sons, uh, uh, no, sorry, Isaac, Isaac, I'm sorry, I'm getting mixed up here. Isaac had two sons and one was Jacob and one was Esau. So. So wouldn't that messianic promise, that covenant, would cover Esau also? No, it didn't, because Esau sold his birthright, and the descendants of Esau are now now known as Edomites. So they're not Israelites. So uh, the, you know, so the the messianic line comes from Isaac, uh, and through Jacob, and through Jacob's twelve descendants. You know, Joseph and his eleven brothers, and that's and those became the twelve tribes of Israel, and that was the people of Israel, the 12 tribes, the 12 sons of Jacob. But uh, uh, Esau sold his birthright. But of course, he was also a son of Abraham, uh, you know, and so uh, a grandson of Abraham. So there were certain blessings over his life, but not the same covenant that God had with the people of Israel. That was special. So it's interesting because in the Bible, you read about the Edomites and the Edomites were the sons of um, uh, Esau, also a son of Isaac and the brothers of Jacob, but they were not part of that promise. So anyway, this is just interesting because you read some of these names in the Bible and you don't know who those people are. So that's who the Edomites were. But anyway, let, let's go back to this. So um, so the promise, you know, from Abraham and then from Abraham, it went down to uh, Isaac and Isaac to Jacob and, you know, the children of Israel, but it began with Abraham. Now, first thing I want to say, Abraham was not a poor nomad wandering through the Middle East dressed in rags. Some people think that Abraham was this guy dressed in rags with his uh, wife, uh, you know, uh, Sarah sitting on a donkey with three legs and just walking. He said, no, no, Abraham, he started with nothing, but he was in covenant with God. Because he was a covenant man and because he was a covenant man, God blessed him during that journey of faith, during that journey of faith that he undertook. God blessed him. And uh, let me read one verse to you. Genesis 22, verse 14. So Abraham called the name of the place Yahweh Jireh, the Lord will provide, as it is said this day on the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. So this Yahweh Jireh, uh, I'm the Lord, your provider, was actually given to Abraham. The Lord said, Abraham, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you everything you need. And uh, actually, Yahweh Jireh, this this verse, Genesis 22, verse 14, was in the context of when Abraham went to uh, sacrifice his son Isaac on you know, out, uh, on Mount Moriah and uh, God will provide. That was actually God would provide a, a ram, you know, to be sacrificed instead of uh, his son, Isaac. But anyway, God said, I'm the Lord, your provider. And Yavijire actually means the Lord shall be seen in this place, but it is also translated as the Lord shall provide in a more general sense. Now, Genesis thirteen one to 2, as I said, that, Abraham was not a poor nomad wandering from, through the Middle East, living in poverty, owning nothing. No, God blessed him doing his journey of faith. And Abraham actually was quite a well-to-do man because in Genesis 13, 1 and 2, it says, and Abraham went out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had and Lot with him in the south. Lot was his nephew who traveled with him. So when Abraham left uh, you know, Ur, where he lived, which is in present day Iraq, and headed out towards uh, the promised land. He had his wife Sarah with him, and he also had his nephew Lot with him. Lot followed with his uncle. So it says, so what Abraham did, he came out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had. That means Abraham by that time had quite a lot of property, and Lot with him. Lot was with him into the south. Then it says, verse 2 And Abraham was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. Abraham was a very wealthy man. That's what it means in cattle, in silver and in gold. And in those days, cattle, silver and gold, if you had these things, you were wealthy. So Abraham was rich in cattle and he was rich in silver and he was rich in gold. Now, where did he get this? Obviously, God had blessed him during this journey of faith because Abraham was a covenant man. He walked in covenant with God. Now, Genesis 13 verses 14 to 17 And the Lord said unto Abraham, after that that lot was separated from him, Lift up thine eyes and look from the place where thou art northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that thou seest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. And then it says, arise, walk through the land and in the length of it and the breadth of it, for I will give it to thee. Now, so God took Abraham to a place and said, Abraham, he, I don't know, but he told him to stand somewhere, probably on a hilltop and say, okay, Abraham, look to the east, look to the west, look to the north, look to the south. And Abraham looked and the Lord said, whatever you can see, I will give it to you. This is yours. So, and I want you to walk to the length and the breadth and, the, you know, just walk to the land because I'm going to give it to you. So Abraham, you know, God said, I'm Yahweh Jireh. So Abraham was wealthy in cattle, in silver and in gold. And now on top of that, God is going to bless him with a lot of land. And in the Middle East, land was wealth. And is still wealth. So Abraham, he started his journey of faith with nothing. But now he has cattle, silver and gold. And now God is blessing him with land. That's not just like one or two acres of land. But he said, I'm going to give you all this land. Everything as far as you, I can see. I'm giving it to you and your descendants forever. So that was God's promise to the people of Israel. That I'm going to give you this land as far as you can see. Okay, and it says in Genesis 17 and 8, and I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee, after thee, that means to you and to your children after you, the land wherein thou art a stranger. He says that this land where you are a, a stranger means a, a foreigner, a sojourner, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. What a wonderful promise of provision. God says, I'm going to give it this land to you and to your children, and I will be their God. Not only will you have this land, but you will have me. I'm going to be your God and your Lord, and you shall have this land. And then uh, let's read another, uh, others, two other scriptures in, in Genesis 24, 34 to 35. And he said, I'm Abraham's servant, For and the Lord has blessed my master greatly. This is Abraham's servant talking, and he has become great, and he has given him flocks, And herds and silver and gold and men servants and maidservants and camels and asses. So God, you know, Abraham's servant is talking about all that Abraham owns. So you can see how God is truly Yahweh Jireh. I am the Lord your provider, and he provided for Abraham beyond measure, gave him land and cattle and silver and gold and men servant and maid servants and camels and everything okay then in genesis 17 verse 1 let's look at this and when abraham was 90 years old and nine abraham was 99 years old the lord appeared to abraham and said unto him i am the almighty god walk before me in thee and be thou perfect almighty god means El Shaddai, that's the Hebrew word, El Shaddai, which means I am God who is more than enough. Hallelujah. I'm the God who's more than enough. More than enough. I'm the God who's more than enough. In fact, I sometimes say, you know, you can live at three levels. And uh, this is just my little paraphrase. The first level, the lowest level is never enough. And the next level is just enough or barely enough. But the third level is more than enough. And God didn't say that, well, I'm your God and I'm less than enough. Or I'm your God, I'm more than enough. But he said, I, I, or, or I'm, I'm your Lord who is just enough. But he says, I'm the Lord who is more than enough, more than enough, more than enough. In fact, I want to tell you Story. Uh, you know, um, I'm, I'm good friends. One of my closest friends is a famous Pentecostal evangelist, uh, um, uh, a great grandson. Um, he's a pastor. Pastor is a great church. One of my closest friends. Very, very dear brother. We are very close. So he told me this story. He said that um, Wigglesworth uh, once took his um, granddaughter out on her 15th birthday. And he wanted to take her out for a dinner and just take her to a shop to buy her a present. So this is the story. He says that Wigglesworth took his granddaughter, she was 15, and took her to a shop where they were selling watches. And Wigglesworth said, honey, you can take any of these watches that you want. Just choose. Just take whatever you want. And uh, she looked at him and he says, yeah, just take whatever you want. Whatever, Take the best watch that you like. Take whatever you want. So now this girl is thinking she's a teenager. She's 15. She loves her grandfather. He, She knows her grandfather is a preacher and uh, she didn't know, you know, whether he could afford it or not. So she chose something cheap. And so he says, is that what you want? He said, yeah. So, you know, so just to spare her grandfather from saving, you know, anything. So anyway, Uh, Saving his money. So she took the cheap watch and then they went for dinner. When they went for dinner, Wigglesworth said to her, he says, Listen, sweetheart, what you did was not good. And she says, Grandpa, what do you mean? She said, I told you, choose whatever watch you wanted, but you chose the cheapest one. And she says, never do that with God. Because when God tells you whatsoever you shall ask, ask him always for the best. Don't treat your God as if he was poor because he said, whatsoever you want, ask me. Ask me. And anyway, I, I, maybe the story isn't accurate. If Pastor Peter is watching this, you can correct me. But the story goes like this, that uh, she later on married and became a missionary in Africa. And even living in Africa, she remembered that lesson. And whenever they had need, she would always ask God for the best. Now, of course, the best in Africa isn't the best in the United States or in Great Britain, but under the circumstances in which they lived in as missionaries, she always asked God for the best and God always supplied every need. Now I'm not talking about exaggerated extravagant living. That's not what I'm talking about because there's a fine line between greed, you know, and the love of material things. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about the fact that sometimes we as Christians, we ask God for too little because there's this mindset, oh, I don't want to ask God for so much, you know, why should I, yeah, and, and we don't say, but maybe we think that, you know, I don't want to ask God for too much. It might be difficult. Maybe God cannot afford it or God, you know, don't walk in false humility. When the father said, whatsoever you shall ask in my name, ask God, don't be, um, you know, don't be bashful and shy to ask God for what you need, because he said, whatsoever you shall ask me in the name of Jesus, I shall give it to you. And remember, God is El Shaddai. So as I said, I must repeat this, must qualify this story that I'm not talking about greed or materialism, that I say, oh God, I want a Rolls Royce, I want a private jet, I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about, you come to a place in your life where whatever is your heart's desire, you ask God, and God will fulfill it to you. I mean, I personally, I don't want a Rolls Royce or a personal Just My heart is set on, I want souls. And if I want souls, I'm going to ask God for a million souls. I'm not going to ask him for 10,000 or hundred thousand souls. I remember many, many, many years ago, uh, I was in a meeting and brother Oge Olesher from Norway had preached and the spirit of God came upon me. And I remember I began to weep. I, I was Left. I was the last one in the auditorium. I was weeping, 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 and everyone else was gone. And finally, I walked around looking for Oge and I found Pastor Oge. And he looked at me and I was crying. I went and hugged him and he said, Brother, what do you want from God? And I thought, I want. A million souls because for me that was an astronomical figure. I little me, I couldn't preaching in small churches in Sweden, but I wanted more. I didn't say, Give me 10 souls, I said, God, give me a million souls. And Oge prayed for me, million souls. And then there came a point when I was seeing almost a million souls saved every year. And now we've gone way past that. So always ask God because He's El Shaddai, He's the God who is more than enough. God is more than enough. Hallelujah. Well, let's stop here and we'll continue tomorrow. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I thank you, Lord. You are Yahweh Nissi, the, uh, the Lord, our banner of victory, and you are Yahweh Jireh, and you are the Lord, who supplies all our needs according to your riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Lord, may our vision be big, Father, because you are a big God and you want to bless us and to meet every need we have for us to fulfill the purpose and the call you have upon our lives. We thank you that you are our provider. I pray for each person in this place. May they be blessed. May all their needs be met in spirit, soul, body. In Jesus' name. Amen.